Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you say something, it can have a, a more profound effect on people if you're in a position of power. So that's the first thing. The second thing with sharing power is thinking about how you make decisions on the team and figuring out ways to share that decision-making power. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show, and thank you for helping make Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, one of the top leadership podcasts in the world. I so appreciate you listening and, of course, sharing and leaving those reviews and all those things. And if you only have the opportunity to do one thing with this show, I appreciate all that. But number one, use what you're getting out of the show. Apply it. Make a difference for your leadership and your team today. All right. Our guest today uh, as some, I, I know you're going to enjoy this interview, and I have learned so much from her book already, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Our guest today is passionate about creating cultures of belonging in the workplace. She's been featured as one of HR's most inclusive influencers, is the founder of The Change Coaches, inspiring audiences around the world and building cultures of belonging through her and her team's coaching and consulting services. Who is she? Her name is Latanya Wilkins, and she's the author of a new book, Leading Below the Surface, and this has to be one of my favorite subtitles of any book I have read this year, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different from You. So that's where we're going today. Latanya Wilkins, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. I'm happy to be here. Well, we are happy you're here, and uh, I'm eager to to dive into this book. There's so much there, and and, uh, this notion of how to build real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you, uh, and all the leadership principles that you've got for us, all of that is great, but I got to start by asking you, if you could take us back uh, in your own memory, as far back as you want to, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, what would that be? Oh my gosh, the earliest memory of myself as a leader. Wow. Um, Gosh, I would either have to pick uh, brownies, like when I I was a brownie, or actually the better example I'm going to pick is um, I grew up in a a small town in Iowa uh, called Marshalltown. I know, crazy, right? And um, I was part of a softball team called the Larks. And I was really good at softball that one year. <laughs> I think I was a great hitter. Um, and I, we had a pretty much a losing season. And I think um, there was one game that we were really close in and um, I had to miss that game. And mm. um, I remember my coach said to me that day that um, if you were here, we probably would have won. And in that moment I was like, Oh, okay. I, I guess I'm some sort of leader on this team. I, I have some sort of impact on this team, and so um, it was pretty amazing because the team knew my strengths, and that was hitting. Um, and they didn't really expect me. I was really terrible, crappy um, at you know being a uh, baseman, and so a lot of times they put me um, out as an outfielder, hoping nobody hit a ball that way. So. <laughs> Uh, so it was the recognition that you had that influence on your team through the skills and the strengths and the talents that you were contributing and that recognition of, gosh, I am contributing and I'm making us better. And it took your absence and somebody saying that to help you realize that. Right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I had no idea. I just have, was having fun. And then I was like, wow, maybe if I, if, if I knew I was a leader, I would have, I, I would have been here, but I, I don't think I could. I think it was something my parents made me do so I couldn't go to the game. 
<laughs> those those things happen, and you know we, right. we can't take too much of that too seriously as children. So, yeah. But hey, what an opportunity to have that recognition and and have the coach tell you that. So leading below the surface, how to build real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you. One, one of the things that immediately jumped out at me that we have in common is Amy Edmondson, uh, you know, pioneer psychological safety and uh, uh, the author of uh, Fearless Organization. She wrote the forward to both of our books. And oh, yay. I, awesome. I thought that was yeah. awesome. And yeah. uh, uh, what, a, what an incredible endorsement there for the, the work that you're doing and, and so on. So you know, as you, as there's just so much, one of the things I've wrestled with is how do we dive into unpack uh, leadership, leading below the surface and and building these kinds of relationships. And and so I I think I want to start with the leading below the surface part, because there's a lot to unpack there and what you're talking about and what that means for us as leaders and where we start that journey. And then we'll move into the, the psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you because they, they build on each other. I think, you know, the, if I'm correct in understanding how you're approaching the subject and leadership, it really is a relationship with yourself. And we got to start there before we're sending it anywhere else. Am I, am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, first of all, that's pretty amazing. Um, like that says a lot about Amy. So I, I want to acknowledge that first that, um, you know, she would support books that are really about the future of leadership being, you know, heart-based leadership. I think that's what you called it in the beginning. Um, and so that's pretty great to hear. Um, leading below the surface. Yeah. Anything that involves, um, what I call real building, real cultures of belonging, uh, starts with, yourself. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times it's, we, we try to say, okay, it starts with the C-suite or it starts with all these other places, but, um, you know, in below the surface leadership, it's, it's more of a radically, um, ra- a radical way to approach the world. Um, and it's a radically different way, uh, to look at this. Um, I'm not saying you don't need champions and you don't need, um, you know, leadership to be like on board for large scale change. But one of the things that I wanted to do in my book was to show that everyone could make an impact and that we all have more influence than we think we do. Uh, That comes across uh, very clearly. So let's talk about well, let's start with why. Uh, why did you choose to write this book? I, I find that often helps inform the content and how we're going to apply it and yeah. so forth. What was magical or what was so powerful? What sat you down and said, Latan, you've got to do this? Yeah. So there were a couple of things. Um, number one is my grandma, Ruthie. And my gra- I talk about her a lot in the book. And um, I talk about her a lot in my keynotes. So she was a below the surface leader uh, and exemplified that in my life throughout her life. And that's before I had a name for it. She was really great uh, with building real relationships with people who are different from her. And she, you know, migrated from the South to uh, Kansas, well, from Jackson, Mississippi to Kansas, and then to Des Moines, Iowa. I was raised, that's why I was raised in Iowa. And um, she was a cafeteria worker for many years. And she, like all of her other coworkers, who she shouldn't have even been friends with, right? She moved during uh, segregation laws, um, but they, yeah, they, they were like a family. And I remember um, someone, like one of the grandchildren approaching me at her celebration of life. And she said, hey, your grandma was like my grandma and she like my mother, she adopted me when my mom died and, you know, adopted metaphorically. So that was number one is seeing grandma Ruthie her wisdom in the world and um, me seeing the results of her behaviors and how they were making so much more of an impact than like any DEI program that I knew. Um, That was number one. I was like, gosh, I got to put this out there because this is not the way we do things. You don't train people and force them to go and then think it's going to be over. Right. And that's what it always was. Uh, The second thing is me being very different in many ways, I always 
I faced a lot of adversity in the workplace. And again, I, I think there's a side of that that facing those experience were, experiences were formative for me. But uh, there's another side that was just really ugly, and I'm not going to candy coat it. Um, but it's it. I had to to write this book because of that. And we were we entered a pandemic, and then it was like it was kind of just burst. I was bursting at the seams to get this out because I wanted people to hear like the message that we needed to hear and the message of where the world was actually going to go and the message that they could be inspired to do something different. And it's part of their leadership. It doesn't have to be this huge side project. It's like, let me challenge myself to think a little more different about leadership and what does leadership mean and what does that look like? And um, if you can do that, then you can create a huge shift because that's changing an entire structure of something or a system of something that we all do in our lives. So making that accessible. And, and I really needed to do that. And so that's why I put that out. Grandma Ruthie, and then the need to just inspire the world and show the world that this is something that's accessible to them. So I'm definitely hearing loud and clear the inspiration that your grandmother played. And then also the reality, the experience of some of your own pain and some of the ugly mm -hmm. situations. But then on the flip side of that, the opportunity that is in front of us as leaders to create a different future together if, if we will undertake that and, and practice these skills. So there's the, the motivation of the pain and the opportunity to help others uh, eliminate that and heal and create a better future. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, you know, I was just on a call with someone and I'm going to be doing a, like a fireside chat with, with their organization. And, um, it, they asked me, Hey, would you feel comfortable talking about your mom and your grandma? Cause my mom also, you know, I lost my mother at a relatively young age for, for people to lose their parents. And I said, yes, I, you know, I was resounding yes, because people need to hear that it's okay to be human. And these things happen as humans. And um, you should never feel ashamed um, at work because you have something that happens that makes you have to take more time off or makes you have to um, hand over a project or other things. And so, yes, people need to see that and hear that. And, and how tough is it that that can feel like a revolutionary concept that right. it's okay for you to be a human being? I mean, I, I remember in the book you describe uh, and, and you are very upfront about some of the tough circumstances and situations that you've encountered through your career. And one of them that stood out to me, you were talking about your relationship with a manager. I mean, it's the opposite of human, human centered leadership, but this manager, um, your sister, um, had died and obviously mm -hmm. rocked you. And th the way that you describe it in the book, you said the most hurtful part of it was when you realized uh, that your relationship with your manager was fake, that you were there from her perspective and the experience you had of that was that you were there to benefit her. That was your purpose. And that she knew you were a hard worker and anything else that you could be a human being was too much for her to handle. She couldn't relate to it. And that was just one of those that just was like piercing, like, oh my goodness. And how many people have those experiences? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> One of those things, right? It's, it's, yeah, right? It's, um, it just was something that I just never imagined would happen, right? And it was very sudden and um, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know, Latanya, I know that no one tuning in to listen to this show wants to be that kind of manager that they're like, right. oh my gosh, they got to feel that pain too. Like, okay, right, right. And, we're also, we're human beings. And uh, one of the, the sources of compassion that I find in leading below the surface is that recognition of everyone's humanity and that we all, mm -hmm. the surface that we're trying to lead beneath is common to all of us, that there is a surface and it takes work to get beneath the surface. And so let's, let's just define terms here for a second, because like you, you use the term archetype, like 
leading below the surface is a leadership archetype, like kind of like you can be a charismatic yeah. leader, a strategic yeah. leader, a leader coach. So you can also be a below the surface leader. So what is this archetype of leading below the surface really all about? And let's, we can start high and then we can get drilled down into some details. Yeah. So before I get into exactly what it is, I'll tell you the background of how I got there. So it's very evidence-based. I did a lot of research. I actually, before I started Change Coaches, I had many different corporate roles. One was leading global leadership development. Um, And so I was always exposed to these different archetypes. And um, I remember one of the number one things that was always said is this person needs to be more strategic. This person, um, that was always probably the number one thing. It's like, how many times do we hear that? Right, right. And I'm like, okay. Um, So it was like a strategic leader. Um, And that's an archetype, right? That's one that we know that's kind of drilled in our brains. But there's, when, as I went through the years, there was no archetype for just how we treat people, right? Like a leader that treats their team so well that they excel that way. And you see that quite a bit. I mean, I think um, one of the ones I would say, um, like music, like orchestras or sports teams, like they're, they're actually connecting and like connecting everybody together and figuring out, um, you know, how the parts can make a sum for a team. And that's, that's businesses just not figure that like we still are stuck in these what I call the dominant leadership standards of like hey we still have to be very competitive and this is a meritocracy and but it's really when you study other teams that's really not what they're doing right um there's they're yeah they're looking at the strengths but they're saying okay if I'm gonna have this player then I need this player to balance that player out right and so um so this was an archetype that is all about, um, you know, how, how we treat people. And with, if we can master that, then we can get to all those other things. And so there's three prongs to below the surface leadership in this archetype. One is what I call real leadership. And real leaders are relatable, equitable, aware, and loyal. Again, relatable, equitable, aware, and loyal. And so this is something, the first time that I've seen where there's a leadership archetype that actually equity is a part of that, where awareness is part of that. Loyalty, gosh, that is, that's radical, right? That's um, that you're going to be loyal through some of the things that we talked about, like something happens to someone on your team, they unexpectedly lose a family member. Can you, how can you be loyal to them and their performance? Like maybe you've had them, they've been on your team for three years and they go through six months or something, you're going to derail them. Are you serious? So how can you be loyal, um, relatable? How can you be um, more relatable to different types of people? For example, I was on a call with someone this morning that it's a company I would do a keynote with and like 50% of their employees are in India and it's a it's a it's something during Pride Month. So I have to adjust, right? And so how can you be relatable to different types of audiences and saying, no, this is how we do things. No, it's not. You can, you can actually be relatable as a leader. Uh, the other two prongs are empathy. And I talk about that a little bit more in the book. Like there's two different types. There's two, two different ways to access that through listening. Uh, I talk about two different types of listening and then psychological safety, obviously. Um, that's a lot. So where I would strongly urge, if this is something that's sounding intriguing to you, start with the real leadership. And in the book, I actually have many assessments that you can use to kind of assess hit, how we hit chapter six. Are. If you want those assessments, yeah. they're fantastic. Yeah. So that's, that's really where to start. Um, yeah. And so if I don't understand if that, why you wouldn't want to be a below the surface leader, I can explain that because, and I, I'm not just, this is not an ego thing. It's more that this is where the world's going. It's just the workplace is getting so complicated. Oh my gosh, it's it's used to be more simple. And now we after you know the pandemic has shaken things up. And now we have some people work from home, some people go in the office, some people, you know, it's really hard to recruit. There's like, you know, there's a talent shortage in some industries, you know, there's 
all of these things, there's climate change, there's a war, there's all these things. And so we can't just be strategic leaders anymore. That's not, that's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's not enough. If by strategic, we mean ignoring all of the other elements of our humanity right. as we're trying to bring people together to do the work. You know, when, when you talk about leading below the surface, this is my interpretation. So it, feel free to, to guide me differently. So my mind goes to, okay, well, what is the surface that we're leading beneath? Like what's above the surface and what's below the surface? And, and you talk about the transition, you know, there's above, there's the transition, then there's below. And on some level, it seems to me that the surface that you're talking about are all of the biases that we have implicit as human beings. There's not a one of us that doesn't fall prey to these unless our brains just happen to be like wired weirdly differently than a normal human. You talk about three of them, affinity bias, confirmation bias, and in-group bias. Like we all have these. These are things that every human being we wrestle with and they create a default surface way of being, I guess, is is the way I was thinking about it as I was reading. I'm curious how that lands with you if I'm interpreting what you're saying. And then, um, well, let's start there. Is that the surface that we're talking about or is there more to it? Yeah, the surface is is like, you know, yeah, just like kind of like what you said and going to a company's website and seeing all these things that they perceive themselves to be and bragging about that and staying at that level instead of getting below the surface and seeing what's really happening. Yes. So so we've got that at the kind of the company level in terms of the mm -hmm. the the level of assumptive marketing or impression that we're putting out in the world. But then there's the like the reality under as we dig underneath open up right. the, the the covers and get in there. What about these these biases, like that affinity bias, confirmation bias, in group mm -hmm. bias? If if we can take us back there, because I, I thought this was important. I think it's a really vital element that you call out and you bring out for your reader is that every single human being has these and how they combine to cause some of the challenges that keep us from leading below the surface. Yeah, yeah. So. I call those a terrible three and the terrible three biases. The reason why I call them that is because they, they can be terrible um, and we all have them and they're more terrible if we can't keep an eye on them. And so uh, those terrible three and that I talk about are affinity bias. So that means that we surround ourselves with people who are just like us. Um, we all do it. Okay. So some of you listening, for example, um, Maybe you are a mom, or maybe you love the outdoors, right? So all of you moms and all of you outdoors people, look at your networks, look at who you might gravitate towards um, when you're hiring. You're probably gravitating towards them, which is okay. I'm not saying that that's not, that it's bad, right? What I'm saying is affinity bias keeps us um, with the tunnel vision. And when we, we are going, we're going to keep our networks pretty small if we're only if we're letting ourselves submit to affinity bias because we're going to hire people that are just like us, and then people who are just like us are going to be held in a higher light. Um, and then there is the confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is, for example, okay, let me stop my affinity bias for a day. Let's let me challenge this. Okay, well now I'm going to hire Matt on my team, and Matt's completely different from everybody else. Like, let's go back to the person um, that likes the outdoors. So Matt hates the outdoors. My entire team loves the outdoors. Um, but I'm gonna try this, even though I don't think he's gonna fit in, right? I, I have no idea if Matt's gonna fit in because um, he doesn't like, he doesn't like, you know, these nature, he doesn't like climbing mountains or whatever, extreme sports. <laughs> I mean, it, it really gets this, I'm telling you, this, is, this actually really happened. Video games is one that I get a lot. Right. And so Matt comes in and uh, after a month, Matt, um, Matt doesn't attend a social event. And in that minute, you're like, I knew this wasn't going to work out. He doesn't want to be a part of anything that we do. Um, you know, now I'm going to have to change everything. That's confirmation bias. It's any any like whiff that something is going wrong with the person. You're like, I knew it, I knew it. And then you kind of make your mind up and you kind of detach from them in this in this way. Okay? Looking for all that, all that data that we 
we right. filter out the data. Right. We filter in the data that confirms what it is we already believe. Right. Right. And we like to be right. <laughs> and so we don't, we don't want to be wrong. Right. It's like, we like to be right. Especially when we're taking a risk on someone, um, like a hiring risk. We want to be right about that. We don't want to be wrong. I also um, see that yeah. see that happen sometimes just while we're on confirmation bias with leaders mm-hmm. who I, I call it staining or anointing, but that um, that idea that uh, and I've seen leaders do this where like there's this one person who they might have done something that was not quite right or healthy or whatever, mm-hmm. but that becomes their entire identity for that leader. And that's it. Like they're stained. Now they're never going to recover from that. And this person just continues to pile on. Well, they can't, they can't, they can't. And the same thing happens in a positive light for other people sometimes where they're like, hey, this person, I call it the anointing, where they like go, wow, this person can do no wrong. They're just awesome and ignore all of the other stuff. And like neither of those are healthy, but people do it. No, yeah, no, none of those are healthy. Yeah, and I love that that framework, right? <laughs> right, that's what we do. That's, that's, just, that's just our nature, right, David? I mean, I think- that is just how we do things. It, it is, unless we we take some steps otherwise. All right, right so we'll talk right. about that, but get to our third one here. I right. interrupted you, so right. in-group, in-group. Yeah, yeah, so in-group, we see this, we see it, we've seen it a lot um, in 2020 um, with the U.S. elections and other, com- other countries as well. But, um, you know, there's an in-group and there's an out-group. And the in-group is, you know, in this case, it could be a political group. And the out group is everyone that doesn't believe what this group believes. Okay, I'm not saying either group is right or wrong. What I'm saying is what happens, I want everyone to take themselves back there. If you have, you know, a very strong affiliation, take yourself back there. And I know this is a topic that, you know, I don't I don't get too much into, but I like to use it as an example because it creates a visceral response. But take yourself back to um, where you were in, in 2020 and how you felt about the group that agreed with you. And then how did you feel about the group that disagreed with you? And yeah, I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but you probably had less empathy for them. You probably didn't really want to talk to them. You probably thought that you and your group were right. Um, This is so strong that there was a Manchester, uh, I think some of you might know this, there was a Manchester United uh, study that showed that um, at a soccer or football match, people with the opposite jerseys, if they fell down, um, they wouldn't even be picked up. Like no one would even try to help them. That was from a fan of the other team. So they didn't even pick them up. They didn't give them a hand, lend them a hand to get them off the ground. They're just like, you know, you suffer. You, you know, and again, I, I know we like to justify. I have, I have my views too. But the important thing here is to acknowledge that it's happening. And that example can be very personal for you, but transfer that to the workplace and think about how you do that in the workplace. And a lot of times in the workplace, just it just goes unmanaged, right? So recognizing that what we're talking about here is recognizing that because we are human beings and we have the brain in our head that we do, we're naturally prone to affinity bias, confirmation bias, and in-group bias, these ways of processing information, of seeing what affirms what we already think we know, of, of hanging around people who remind us of ourselves or we have some affinity with on some level, whatever that looks like. And then seeing people in our in-group as more human than those outside of our, our group. Mm-hmm. And that cocktail produces some pretty challenging results if we don't lead differently, if we don't get ourselves uh, Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with it. So let's, let's talk about that. Where do we start as we, as we say, okay, I can recognize, I can intellectually assent. Yes. Those biases, those things are real. They do happen. I can recognize what you're talking about with the outdoors and, and, and so on. All right. What, what, where do I go from there? What, where do I start? Yeah, yeah I, I gave you a light example and a serious example on purpose. So you could relate to one or the other. Where do you start? Well, you start with acknowledging that we're all human and these are there. That's the first thing you start with. And you start with not being defensive. Like, no, I do this. I know this is something other people do. No, we do it. I do it. But maybe even do an exercise 
and reflect on each of these biases and how they might impact your world. Like maybe, like maybe how you might have been pushed out of certain groups and and maybe how you might have been the pusher outer, right? So how you might have been um, the recipient and then the perpetrator of both of these. And so starting there, um, again, doing this, this, this type of reflection first um, at your core. And again, this is just to challenge you to think a little differently, right? Um, you know, a lot of you are probably that are listening have probably been through some sort of, you know, basic diversity training. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is challenging how you think about leadership from the ground up. And so starting with that reflection um, and then mainly reflecting on what those are, how you've been the recipient, the perpetrator, and then how this might impact you as a leader. So that would be the first step. And then the second and third step, um, I would say the second step would be to go more into the real leadership. Um, like I said, I give some questions, just doing some self-exploration. Well, let's let's the, dive in there the a little bit then. I, yeah. I love the acronym. Uh, again, going back, real leadership, relatable, equitable, aware, and loyal. So let's start with relatable. When when you're talking about being a real leader in terms of being relatable, what does that look like? Yeah, so there's a person I coach. Let's let's call him Bob, and um, he is an executive that looks nothing like his team. His team is mostly global um, and they don't look or feel like him at all. And so how is he relatable? Well, he has to decenter himself um, and decenter, like the centering of the way that he thinks things should be, he has to let go of that and be more relatable to the group. And the ways that he can be relatable to the group are, you know, make maybe making more democratic decisions, right? Like he's used to, he was used to more of a top down, but now he's getting more input from the team. Um, you know, understanding just basic stuff like holidays of different types of people, like different cultural norms um, and being relatable on that level where you can not only understand these, but you can also like show your team that you remember. For example, you can ask about a holiday or you can ask about um, you know, another custom, or you can ask about some of these things, like, like you could do that proactively. So that's, that's relatable. When you think of being relatable as you're describing it, so the decentering of yourself, I'm, I'm curious if, I'm, I'm, I have so many thoughts going through my head, different <laughs> leaders as I've talked to clients of ours that are multinational, mm -hmm. like global companies mm -hmm. with, with all of the, the challenges of good, healthy relationship uh, that, that come with that in cross-cultural and everything. And I, I'm curious, like in, in the book, let me, I'll do it this way. You talk about finding like unconventional ways to connect with people and, and getting curious and, and reflecting what you're hearing and so on. I'm wondering if, if there are any in your work with your clients or somebody that you've worked, if you have a particular way that you might visualize that for us of a leader who you have seen or observed or, or coached who found some cool ways to do that. What did that look like as we're cool wrapping ways our to do this? the relatable yeah, to be relatable, particularly when, yeah. as we're talking, you know, the subtitle of the book, you know, psychological mm -hmm. safety and, and building real mm -hmm. relationships with people who are different than you. And this mm -hmm. is like, this is as practical as we yeah. can get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's another example that I actually talk about in the book. So I gave a global example, but another example is, um, you know, when I was an employee and I experienced one of my below the surface leaders, and I, I think this, again, this is an example I have in there, we basically, what he was of a different, um, he was very wealthy, okay? And he hung out in spaces that were very wealthy and a lot of our team wasn't wealthy. So how was he relatable? Well, he made himself he, he made himself accessible to us first off, where um, instead of getting business done on the golf course, um, he was relatable to us and he would get business done in spaces where we were, right? Um, and sometimes those weren't organized spaces. So that might be a 
okay, I'm going to open myself up and text with you, or I'm going to open myself up and, um, you know, give you phone, like we'll do phone calls. Or one of the other things he always did was um, he was very coach-like and he made the way he was relatable is he would let me kind of run the meeting. Like everything he would do would be, okay, um, I, I want to understand you. I want to be relatable to you. This time is for you. You tell me how I can help you. And literally, when he first started that, I was like, there's no way he's serious. But that's how he was. He, he was very relatable in that way. And it was just, he knew that basically I would have a hard time asking for that. Um, so he made it easy for me. So one of the things that's coming up as you're talking is what relatable doesn't mean. And I think this can be a stumbling block sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, is relatable doesn't mean that I'm going to understand somebody else from the get-go and I'm immediately going to make myself warm and fuzzy and connected to that. I can't because I don't know. And so that's not relatable. Relatable is showing up curious about the other human being and learning who they are and and what their reality and process right. and, and right. all of that. So it's showing up curious. And, and I think the very first thing you said is, not being stuck in my way of this is the way the world has to be. It's that's my world, but that's not everybody else's world. So how can I show up curious about other human beings? Yeah. And I love that point. It's, and it, it's not going to work the first time. So that's the other thing. And I talk about concept sharing your slips in the book where the reason why he was able to do that is because he made some mistakes at first. Like sometimes I was like, wait, is he mocking me? Like, what is he doing? Like, oh. should I trust him again? I was, I was kind of like, is he serious? Um, and it took time. And then, you know, through our, our relationship over time and building that psychological safety, I was able to open up to him. And, and then that was able to build his confidence to be relatable with other people. So it's a, such an important point. Relationships take time and, and trust takes time. And so you've got to see, can I count on this person? Do they have my best interests at heart? Are they reliable? Let's go to uh, equitable because uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. and it's again, so many different elements from the book we want to draw out, but we have limited time. So I want to, I want to dive into equitable a little bit, and then we're going to move forward uh, into some of the, the, the latter part. But when we're talking about being an equitable leader, um, you talk about power sharing. And I thought that that's such a valuable, and even uh, the person you were just describing in relatable, there was some power sharing. Uh, but you talk about power sharing and sharing mm-hmm. power. What does that look like? How do we do that? I give an example in the book about this as well. And one of the ways that you you share power is first acknowledging how much power that you have. And I know that sounds basic, but a lot of leaders, especially people that have moved really fast, they don't understand the weight of their actions or their words. Mm-hmm. So first, letting them kind of, you first have to see that. For example, if you say something, it can have a very, very profound, a more profound effect on people if you have, if you're in a position of power. So that's the first thing. The second thing with sharing power is figuring out ways, first of all, like thinking about how you make decisions on the team and figuring out ways to share that, for example, decision-making power. And what does that mean? Well, it means that one of the things that is, is easy to do is, you know, you already know what the decision is going to be and you think it's a simple no-brainer. And so you make the decision and you move on. But instead, how about you challenge yourself and you wait and you involve your team in that decision? Let your mind be changed. And then once you make that decision, the power is shared because you tell the person who's your boss or whoever's in a even more position of power than you who made that decision, right? That's sharing power. It's, you know, it's not sharing power if you, it's not purely sharing power if you like kind of go and you say, okay, this, I got the input from my team. But if you can mention the people specifically and give the power over to them and tell, for example, the CEO or your boss, hey, follow up with them. They're the ones that made this decision and I back it. That's sharing power. 
And how does that, as you're describing that, I'm, I have seen some leaders do that, but in a very unhealthy way where they're really mm-hmm. blame shifting. Well, uh, yeah, oh, this that's, is their that's idea, what I mean. You know? Yeah, you support it, mm-hmm. right? You are, there's another example that I, I've talked about in, in some of my talks where, you know, I'm in a meeting and Tom is my boss and Brad is his boss. And Tom says, hey, Latanya and I have made a decision and I support that decision. Latanya, would you like to walk? Would you like to walk him through this? Sure. And I walk through and my boss with me every step of the way. That's how it occurs, right? And Sponsoring. that is amazing because it's, you are, you know, that's like the ultimate psychological safety that you have because you're, you're able to show your potential and have this power to influence, but you also have like this trampoline. So if you like jump off, your boss is going to put, going to be bounce you back up. And so you're, it's you're scaffolding, you're scaffolding right, the, the people right. around you so that in, in giving right. that access and supporting their, uh, uh, their perspective, opinion, voice, and, and, and with the access and giving them that direct influence, but in right. that, that I, the scaffolding is the word I keep going. Trampoline was your word that, that with that, that net, that's like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And we're here to do this together. Right back up. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably one of the most powerful experiences I ever had is being, and it's only happened a few times in my career, isn't it? And that says a lot that this doesn't happen. Usually it's, 90% of the time, if you're listening, it's probably the way your boss tried to share power is they say, okay, I made this decision with my team, but the decision's mine. And so now I'm going to go and pass it on. Yep. Yep. Well, there's a practical, powerful way to be more equitable in your leadership and uh, promote uh, different voices and give people access in a really strong way that is helpful for them and helpful for you as a leader too, because you know, you don't have to be making all the decisions, nor should you. You don't have all the answers. So why pretend you do? I, I want to point people back. I mentioned earlier in chapter six, there are some really excellent uh, reflections to help you look at practical ways that you can show up as a relatable, equitable, aware, and loyal, that real leader that Latanya has been talking about. And uh, and so you just got a taste of a couple of examples of that, but there are tons more and for each of those components. So I would encourage you get the book and dive in. Uh, and then when you get to chapter six, you'll see those. Uh, I've got some more questions that I, I, I just am so eager to get to. But before we do that, I want to make sure that we stop. And can you tell us where do we connect with you, uh, Latanya? Where can we find out more about you, connect with you? Where do we get the book and any other of those resources that, uh, that we should be focused on and following up with you? Yeah, so you could go to leadingbelowthesurface.com and that's got, you can order the book there. There's lots of resources. Some folks aren't ready to order the book yet. So there's other resources you can dive into um, before you do that. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me with Tanya Wilkins and also latanyawilkins.com is Change Coach's website. Um, we are in the process of revamping our site. So it's going to, it's really exciting. So soon it's going to be changecoaches.io, but right now it's very easy and it's latanywilkins.com. All right. And we'll get all those links into the show notes for you as well. So Latanya, I am curious as we talk about building real psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you, if there's been a more challenging person or persons as, as you have practiced mm-hmm. this because you truly have. And, and is there someone or some, some ones who come to mind, not by name, but, you know, that have been more challenging and how you worked yeah. through some of these skills yeah. to, to get there? Yeah, that's, I talk about that a lot. I have a chapter in my book called Navigating a Surface World. And I talk about like a lot of the surface people um, and organizations that I've had very terrible experiences with. Yeah, so there is one person that comes to mind and she was a person that had a lot of power. She definitely didn't share the power, but she had a lot of power and there was a lot of coded language um, and she just didn't wanna work with me. And she'd always have an excuse as to why, but it was never anything that was based in facts. It was just things like, Oh, I don't like the way she talks. <laughs> or I don't like, yeah, I mean, this is this, 
like that was one of the things that she said. And then my boss relayed that back to me. And I'm like, really? Like, this is, this is really like, how am I going to change that? And so there was also a time where a leader commented on my performance and then it was a performance rating that I did not actually deserve. And they couldn't really, again, it wasn't based on anything objective or factual. It was more of their opinion. Um, and so there are a lot of times, David, where I knew deep down that it was it was something about just me and who I was and what I looked like. And um, it was unfortunate. And so how did I learn how to navigate that? Well, um, I had to go in the pit for a while. <laughs> I had to, yes, yes. And I talk about the pit as a coach a lot too. And I talk about meandering in the muck in the book. And I had to stay there and just be like, gosh, I'm different. And a lot of, some people have a hard time with me and some people don't. And I have a lot I could bring to the world. And so being in that pit allowed me to really isolate my differences and be able to access how those differences made me better and smarter and made me more connected. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's really how I had to do that. It's not like, I hate it when people tell these stories like rags to riches. It wasn't like that. I mean, it was, it was more of a squiggly line. It wasn't a straight line. It was just, it was a journey and it took years to, to figure out. Yeah, as you're as you're talking, I'm reflecting back on going back to the the bias question that and some of those biases that we were talking about earlier in the in group uh, and affinity bias. And you know, when you're talking about culture in an organization, like uh, Seth Godin has a definition of culture that that we use um, quite a bit. People like us do things like this. Like that's mm-hmm. that's culture. It's like what people like us do. And to mm-hmm. some extent, in an organization, that can be healthy. And then it can also become subversive and poisonous and destructive and, and all of those things when we're not doing it from a, an aware standpoint. Right. When right. you, when you I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this question, when for you personally, how have you learned to get outside of in-group bias when the group that's not part of the group you're in feels like really unhealthy. Uh, and my, my assumption, my narrative, like you were saying earlier, back to the political thing, the assumption and narrative for so many people is that whoever's in that other group, they're destructive. They're, mm-hmm. they're horrible people. Like they're just wrong, you know? Um, and, and if we're, if, if that's what we're believing, we're stuck. Like there's, yeah, yeah. So I think you're asking how do I have empathy towards people who empathy. Might have there you go. Yeah, because that's where you, that yeah, or, that's where you get uh, us later in the book is is to this empathy question. You know, I'm really glad you asked that because a lot of my executive coaching clients don't look like me. They look like you. <laughs> Or they look like something for our our listeners, I'm a white male with some gray hair. (laughs) Latanya is not. Right, right. I love that Latanya is not. You know what's so interesting is I think there's good in everyone. I do. I still do. And yeah, there are some people that I'm like, I cannot engage in. Yeah, they they're evil and terrible. And but that's a very small percentage of people on this earth. Yeah, are there people like that? Yeah, but it's not huge. With other people, when I'm coaching them, because people are experiencing the things that I experienced in the workplace, I'm not experiencing that. And where that's coming from is is toxic cultures. And I'm not saying, again, that they don't have things that they need to improve on, but there's, there's a lot there that's deeper. One of the things to have empathy is to realize there's a story there and it's something deeper than just showing up and being an asshole. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on the show. (laughs) Hopefully I am, but it's not, they're not intentionally trying to do that. Right. And so, and it's really amazing when I can coach them and we go into deep stuff. Like it's, it's 
sometimes I go into their childhood, sometimes I go into their fear, sometimes I go into, you know, all these things. And yeah, that, again, that's that pit. And so it's understanding that there's a story there. And if people are willing to sit down and examine that story, then I'm in, I'm all in to help them explore. And that's the, that's the root of the empathy is awareness of that story. Yeah. Powerful. There is so much more in Latanya's book. The title is leading below the surface, how to build real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you. And I, I feel like we have just scratched the surface in the time that we have and also have to honor that time, but I encourage you get the book. There are so many, so many different angles to this. There's your own leadership. There's the relationships you're building. There's the, the more organizational level work, which we haven't even talked about, but there's a whole uh, section of the book, which gets into um, organizational systems. And if you're in a position to influence change in those directly, but even if you're not, how you can subvert poisonous organizational systems, there's a whole section on that if you can't dismantle them entirely. And so, so many different uh, opportunities, but Latanya, with the time that we have left, if you had to give our listeners one piece of advice that we haven't already explored when it comes to leading below the surface and, and being the kind of leader you're describing who mm-hmm. truly recognizes and invites the humanity of, and creates that psychological safety for everyone on their team or their, in their organization, what would that advice be? Yeah. I mean, this is, the whole thing with being below surface is to challenge you to think differently. And so the advice would be um, to start thinking differently and let the actions come later. Uh, in the book, I talk about transitional leaders, which are kind of sandwiched between surface and below the surface. So if you're th- listening to this thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not below the surface, I need to be, well, transitional is most people. So you know, just try to challenge, just challenge yourself how you think about leadership. And that's, and we can all do this. It's, these are all accessible things that we can do. So that's, that's the bit of advice I would give. All right. We'll start by challenging our thinking, challenging our own thinking, mm-hmm. thinking differently, finding one area to explore and let the, the actions flow from there. Do that. And you're on your way to being the leader you'd want your boss to be. Latanya Wilkins, thank you so much for being a guest with us today on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thanks so much for having me, David. Uh, it's been our pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.